Welcome to this sixth season of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. Historically about women, in the past they've always held the home together. It's been the place where people can come back to themselves. So the internal life is held there. They're also the community builders because of necessity, how to bring up their children. They've been the networkers. They're what I'm now beginning to call the social architects of our lives. Okay. So I'm now finding language for this because it's difficult to really convince not just the male-dominated structures, But the women themselves don't necessarily see what they're bringing and how vital that is for the future. So now I'm trying to play the game of naming it to give it more status, because in the past it was never paid for, for example. You know, women depended on men to look after them. I mean, there was no status in that work. I'm Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And I'm so excited to release the sixth season of Harvest series. The interviews were made in Kaplankaya last October during the Harvest event, gathering curious minds from all over the world, coming to explore different therapies, meet people and listen to brilliant speakers that I had the privilege to interview. Like Louis Schwartzberg, movie director telling all about gratitude. Rodo Escalante, who was once a young boy suffering from autism and medical issues, and who found peace thanks to diving. A sound healer, Alexandre Tanus, explaining how to get to transcendental states thanks to music. Bibi Broska, talking about orgasms, but also a shaman, an architect, a banker who became an entrepreneur, and many philosophers. But today, I am with the great Indra Adnan. She is a writer, psychosocial therapist, and political entrepreneur, specialized in future politics, conflict transformation, was consulted to the World Economic Forum, Indian, Finnish and Danish governments and NATO. My first question to her was, where did we leave harvest last season? I think it was a number of interventions at a number of points in this conversation because it was a huge conversation that Jamie Wheel was trying to bring. And his, his basic question was, is Western civilization over? You know, he was really acknowledging the multiple crisis that we're in. Um, and if it is, what should we try to salvage from it? Right? So he, he had this idea that we could salvage some things and we, we were going to go through these things one by one and discuss whether or not that was possible, which was a constructive question. And you'd imagine we could have a dis you know, constructive discussion. Yeah. But in fact, when it came to Gabamate, who was already there, uh, he was the third person to speak after Wade Davis, Gabor said something like, Western civilization, that would be a good idea, right? In other <laughs> words, it never really existed. Yeah. It was false. It caused so much pain and so much trouble. And I think he hit upon a lot of the points of the weaknesses of Western civilization that many people were already familiar with. And mostly because it's Gabor speaking, it was about, you know, the trauma that it has induced in shockwaves throughout the world. And we're still recovering 
in a way, people couldn't really argue with that. But then the interesting point is that he used this example. He said, for example, how many of you even know about what happened when the Indonesian islands uh, started to fight for independence? How many people were slaughtered by the Dutch colonial powers? And I don't think he realized, but he gave me a perfect in at that point. And I said to him, well, in fact, you know, I am the daughter of that relationship. My father, Indonesian. My mother was Dutch. And I lived in that tension between the colonized and the colonialist all my life. And I want him to understand that the answer to polarization is not to try to find some middle way, but to become capable of that polarization. So I said, you know, my father brings immense things to my life. You know, everything about being Indonesian is immense. And so does my mother. I was between a Muslim country and a Catholic country. I actually became a Buddhist. (laughs) But that isn't a middle way between those two things. It's a kind of a transformation of two things that look like they're opposite. You can go beyond that without collapsing each of those things into the other which I think is what a lot of people imagine could happen. But I would say that is not a diverse, that is not the recipe for diversity. You have to create a bigger container in which these two things can self-organize and go on their own path. How do you deal uh, today with those two uh, aspects of your life? Yeah, I carry those two things. I'm, I think it is quite fundamental, actually, to me to carry two very different perspectives on the world and on global phenomenon. You know, one from the biggest Muslim nation in the world, uh, 93% Muslim, which nevertheless is a very, it has had a very military history, but now is is by comparison a very gentle society and has the goal of really trying to show how beautiful Islam is to the world. But it's also on the receiving end of the environmental crisis. You know, so for example, in Jakarta, the whole of Jakarta is currently, which is the the central city of a country which has 13,000 islands. So imagine the role of that city has now got to move to another place. So the whole city is drowning at the moment, and it's got to move to to another island in order to survive. So that's Indonesia. And on the other hand, Holland is also known as a place of great innovation, you know, it's uh, it's politically very adventurous, quite radical in some senses, now moving towards the right a little bit. But nevertheless, the first place that is dedicating its capital city to the experiment of donut economics. So I now have two different kinds of innovation and response to the crisis happening within my own, you know, psychology, so to speak. Indra Annan was such a powerful speaker during the fifth season, very much committed to empowering women, that the founders of Harvest, Burak Oeman and Roman Karel, asked her to be the master of ceremony for the sixth season. When you organized Harvest and uh, helped the team to create the event, what was important for you for this uh, sixth edition? Yeah, so I, I thought a lot about what happened at the end and what it was that I thought I was bringing. And the thing that we didn't get to that I should say was that I do see different perspective on the current crisis 
as a more feminine perspective. So the more feminine perspective would be, we're not simply witnessing something in breakdown. We're also witnessing the evolution of something that is now coming into being for the first time. And I describe the difference between the public space and the private space. So if we think about the public space, most people don't even make it distinct like that. They think that is the world that they live in. But that's the world that was designed by men historically for men to lead in. And it is a male-constructed space. And I'm talking about everything from, you know, industrial economy, the growth economy, to the language that we speak, to the hierarchies that are implicit. That is the world that was created by men for everyone. On the other hand, historically, and I'm not being essentialist now, but historically about women in the past, they've always held the home together. It's been the place where people can come back to themselves. So the internal life is held there. They're also the community builders because of necessity, how to bring up their children. They've been the networkers. They're what I'm now beginning to call the social architects of our lives. Mm, So I'm now finding language for this because it's difficult to really convince not just the male-dominated structures, but the women themselves don't necessarily see what they're bringing and how vital that is for the future. So now I'm trying to play the game of naming it to give it more status because in the past it was never paid for, for example. You know, women depended on men to look after them. I mean, there was no status in that work and this is the time for that status to be recognized. So that was important for you to bring some more women on stage. It was important for me to bring the this more female sensibility of what is required in the face of the crisis, right? So that includes bringing women into the spotlight. That includes shining the light on what women do. But it also means that, you know, to really impress upon the men that unless they take this intelligence, this form of intelligence on board, they probably won't succeed with their plans. Did you manage to convince people here? <laughs> Did you, you have know, interesting talks with people? About I had this? a lot of interesting yeah. talks. And the, the difficulty in, in a beautiful space like this is that it's already a very feminine space. Okay. So I really have to give it to Harvest, right? It's a very feminine space. And the men themselves think of themselves as feminine, right? Yeah. So when I, I made a distinction at one of the, at the last panel, I said, Let's not talk about men or women. Let's talk about triangles and circles, right? So a triangle is... Tell me more about this. Yeah, okay. So the action of a triangle is to act upon reality. I'm going to change reality, right? Yeah. And that's how men, you know, neurologically proven to be a little more left-brained. That's how they see their work, to act upon reality. And so they build things, they map things, they plan things. They create institutions and so on. Women are more circular. Let's get back. The work of a circle (laughs) is to hold things, to create space for things. So whatever is within that space self-organizes and on its own terms begins to flourish. Right. So like a garden is the place where many plants and trees grow. Right. So that's the work of a circle is to hold space for things to flourish that's how a family, if, if a family is a happy family, it's because the parents were able to hold the space 
for many different personalities to flourish on their own terms, ready to go out into the world as individuals that are capable yeah. and independent individuals. So I asked that question, but I would say a lot of the men in our <laughs> space immediately say, oh, I'm a circle. Okay. They identify yeah. with that circle, right? And they know that it's a good thing. And it's hard for me to really push it in that sense. So instead of making them wrong, which I have no interest in doing because their work is so vital, I really want the women themselves to see their own work as much more important than maybe they've understood until now. You've asked also the women in the room, it was on the second day, to speak, to be more uh, on stage. Is that not natural for, for women to, be, uh, to talk and to, to be heard? I would say in my experience over the years that women are not that keen on being in the front of a stage. They have plenty to say, but they prefer to be in a certain context that is um, connected, more connected yeah. than the separation of the audience and the stage with a spotlight on okay. it, because that instantly creates a kind of disconnect. So in the past, when I've tried to address that and I found that I didn't get women appearing willingly you know they would often say oh yes I'll come and then not come at the last minute because there was a discomfort with that kind of putting them on the top or on the front so I just changed the way that we operated and we started to do things in circles more okay and invite women into the circle it was really obvious that they would turn up and speak and share much more willingly than, than so the that's the way we can adapt to make the women yeah. speak yeah It was funny because during the last uh, panel again, you had been telling the women to be heard and everything. And I was watching you and <laughs> I saw there were four questions to be asked. And after the three questions by men, I saw when the mic was given to a man, I saw you. And I, I was almost wanting to raise my hand. I had nothing to say, but I was like, she's going to be so upset. I'm going to ask a question, but <laughs> I don't know why. But then the mic was passed to yes. um, a man and I saw you rise in her and you were like, I don't know what you felt, but I saw a little bit of deception and uh, that no, no girl would be brave enough to take the mic. It was partly that. It was partly that, but it was more like a sort of dismay at the fact that we still haven't been able to create the conditions Yeah. really for the women in which they felt comfortable to speak up at that point. And, you know, it was such a, and this is something I perhaps I will draw attention to, it was, it was a disappointment in me because I'd made that my point so clear. And, you know, to the women and to the men, and yet, yet again, it was going to happen. And now I have to be a pain in the ass. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> that, that is... That's a drag for me, that I have to be the pain in the ass now who's going to stand up and point it out. And, it, you know, I, 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 I'm quite happy to share that with people because quite a lot of people will think, oh, Indra, you know, oh, she's that, you know, person who keeps fighting. You know, can't wait. why doesn't she calm down a bit? And I said, well, because, you know, I've said it a hundred times and still, it's still the same conditions. So it's a combination of things. I'm not blaming any single person, everyone has their own conditions. And I certainly understand that women would say to me, as they have said to me, we're busy doing our stuff all the time. We don't need the limelight. Okay. I totally respect that. I don't want to change that. However, the reality is if you don't become visible, then you won't be on the map. 
you won't get funded for the work you do because no one can see you. Mm -hmm. And you become reliant on, if you can build a business, great. But there's so many women who are not going to build a business, right? They're just doing their work without doing anything that buys into the old world of the only thing that gets valued is what makes money. Okay. Right? Yeah. If they're doing their work for free, it gets undervalued. Mm -hmm. And that is the history yeah. right, of our civilization. Unfortunately, you will have to be a little uncomfortable. I'm asking you to be a little uncomfortable yeah. and say and stand up and say what you do. You went to politics in the mm. UK and uh, I was a woman. How was it? Can you share the story? Yeah. So my experience just to lead up to it, you know, I was in conflict transformation and I was a journalist and a psychotherapist and I'm writing about soft power. And at a certain point, I was convinced by everyone that I needed to go into politics if I was going to make any difference. So I was prepared to give that a, a go. Yeah. Right? So I was up for it, to be honest. And I joined a political think tank and eventually I stood to be an MP. But what I found was, first of all, You know, with all the best intentions, there's still only a third of our MPs are women, right? But much more difficult than that. It's very hard to bring your womanhood into politics. Mm. You know, you're required to leave it behind, okay. right? So you can't, if you're a mother, then you have to only give your children away to childcare. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be clear about what you're not doing. You can't bring a certain language in. You have to wear a certain kind of clothes. You can't be yourself as a woman yeah. in that space. And I think that you'll see, especially from our example, that the successful women MPs are pretty tough and hard. There's good, they're like the men in the way that they discuss things and the way that they come to solutions. And Margaret Thatcher was famously, she called herself the best man in the cabinet, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, because that's how you succeed. And so that is a disaster for our future mm -hmm. society. So I came out of that. Yeah, I yeah. understand. And is there a woman now, uh, because maybe things have changed or in another country, that is for you in politics but feminine? Yeah, I. it's, never, it's not easy because the system requires you. But I would say Jacinda Ahern in, in New Zealand is a great model And in yeah. fact, if you look over the COVID period, that in the first couple of years of success at keeping their country safe, all of the one, all of the countries, the top seven that were keeping their countries most safe from COVID were all being led by women. As I said in the introduction, Indra is specialized in future politics and conflict transformation. She introduced in Harvest a concept of re-worlding. Here she is, talking in Kaplankaya on the main stage. To re-world is ambitious. And I know many of us are in the business of re-worlding here. We take as much help as we can, right? You can re-world through certain forms of medicines and, you know, Uh, the drugs that we could take. But you can also reworld momentarily by moving into trance when somebody is talking. You know, I might now be persuading you of something momentarily uh, that you will believe is the whole truth. 
and it might change your way of behaving from now on. But we're also being invited now to take responsibility for the way that we respond to what we're hearing and learning. And that's very much what I was hoping to really say at the beginning of this event, is that everyone here, every every single one of you without exception, has a unique take on reality. You've had your own very unique childhood. You had your own very unique adolescence. You have your own experience with work. You have your own experience with relationships. All of this is somehow making you yourself. And you it's very important that you bring yourself to events like this and that you subject yourself to the learning that's available, but to check back with yourself. Is this true for me, in fact? Does this really... Can I integrate this knowledge into the self that I know I am? Or am I now being whisked off into another worldview and becoming a follower of somebody else that maybe, I don't know what that will lead to. So the invitation to integrity, to really bring what you're hearing, whether we're talking about the world, which for a lot of people may seem too remote, you know, it's too remote, maybe too far away to be thinking about global issues, possibly. Even so, they are appearing in your worldview in a certain way that's causing you to behave in a certain way. So reclaim it. Reclaim what you're thinking about the world from whoever's talking to you about the world and see how does it really land with me? How does this affect the way I am a global citizen? We all have a personal self, a community self, and a global self. And Indra, who is a storytelling specialist, is inviting us to really own them. So, about storytelling, which advice do you give to the speakers at uh, Harvest, male or female, because you're a storytelling specialist? First of all, I've noticed that storytelling has become quite fashionable recently. So people understand more and more that if you want to sell something, you've got to tell a good story about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, just to give people some anchor, this comes from, well, it doesn't come from, but it's coherent with the idea of soft power. So soft power is really the power of attraction as opposed to the power of coercion. Mm -hmm. And you attract people by the story that you're telling about yourself, they get moved towards you because they like what you're saying and then you can build relationship between you and that gives you influence and power over those people who are attracted towards you. Yeah. So that's the basis of why storytelling is a good thing for politics or politicians. Now, there's two ways, you know, you can be a fake storyteller, right? So a charismatic individual, Boris Johnson's a great, you know, He's a real storyteller, but it's all empty. He makes it up. He, he breaks his promises. He says whatever he thinks the people want to hear. That's not what I mean by a good storyteller. A good storyteller is somebody who can draw a coherent line between a very complex reality, right? So, for example, if you can see that there is 
you know, a mixture of good things and bad things in a society, if you can use the example of one person's life and tell a good story about it that ends up illustrating those things you were trying to do, then that's good storytelling, right? But there's another element too, and I just don't want to go with that way without saying this. We, we are, all of us, natural story, storytellers, right? That's how we're designed. Yeah. And the question is, what is the story you are telling yourself all the time about yourself, about the world? That's the first thing you have to get to before you try to tell a new story. Yeah. First, understand the one you're already telling yourself. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And the, with coming back to women, the story that women are powerless is a very big story that we have to overcome because it's not true. Very interesting. Yeah. You call to people not to be um, followers of someone else. I mm. found it very uh, powerful when you said that yeah. at the beginning of uh, Harvest. Yeah. How should we integrate new knowledge without becoming a follower? Yeah, <laughs> good question. Well, let, let me just say why I said that. Because each one of us, the, the way that our brain functions... There's a, an aspect of it which is a dream, what we call the dreaming brain. And that means that we willingly go into trance, right? We want to, we learn through trance, okay. right? So if I give you my attention, my full attention, you can say anything and it's being downloaded onto my system. That's how I learn. Yeah. That's how a child learns. But that's also how we've become the people we are because the big corporations and governments and so on have told us a story of how we're going to thrive and we've bought it, right? And also, in terms of what is an economy, we have bought the story that we need to consume, right, to get all of our needs met. So I've got, I need to buy this handbag to get status. You know, I need to buy this can of Coca-Cola to be belonging, to have a sense of belonging, you know? And that's how they've sold us everything. Yeah. Not being aware of that is... A real, you you know, you are destined to be a slave if you don't get hold of your own storytelling capacity. So it's just a way of interrupting yourself. Once you know that, you have, please, you know, listen to the great thinkers and speakers, but then always make a little time for yourself. Try to ask, did I, does that cohere with what, what I really believe? Yeah. Does it help me become a more flourishing person? Or have I now been triggered into a new story you know, of mm -hmm. fear and alarm and whatever. And now I feel powerless again. Indra, um, going to, um, coming back to Harvest in Kaplankaya, it's um, a certain price to pay, not affordable to um, everyone. So I know lots of people are doing charities and very committed to help uh, everything. But um, what do you, it's an open question. Do you feel comfortable about being in a privileged, uh, talking to a privileged uh, crowd? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And it, it was definitely a question that challenged me to begin with. I know, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah it did challenge me to begin with. In a practical way, I, I did try, uh, I did ask, you know, this year whether or not people could come for free or for much less money. And I think they've designed a bursary aspect to it, right? So okay. people can, in, in theory, come, but they have to ask and not many people like to ask. But I think the... The thing that happened to me on the first one that I stood, stood back and I asked myself, what is my, if I'm now having a problem with myself about thinking about privileged people, where is my own diversity? You know, where is my own ability to take people exactly as I find them? Um, 
And I found myself lacking, actually, that I might be sitting in judgment on people with privilege, that they should be anything other than just in a particular place at a particular time, doing what they can in the conditions they find themselves. And when I really stepped away from my fear or my judgment of this may be limited in some way, um, I just put that aside and thought, these are these are ordinary people, you know, appearing as themselves. Yeah. Then I was suddenly so moved and uh, inspired by the idea that people will bring their resources to such serious endeavor to make the world a better place. You know, it, I didn't find it to be a world of competing egos at all. Yeah. And I That's didn't true. see any sense of, ignorance of the rest of the world that the rest of the world is there and somehow must benefit from everything that happens i've been in some places that are elite and it's really a desire to remain elite that is most present in that place i don't find that here at all um, i find very serious people bringing whatever they can to see what how they can meet the crisis but at the same time i don't want to suddenly say oh it's okay Everybody is uh, everybody's just an ordinary person. That isn't true. You know, and, and one thing I wasn't sure that is really present, that we have to make sure is always present, that the environmental crisis that we are all prepared to address because we are now existentially at risk is deeply connected with the social justice crisis. You know, uh, the people with the least money in the world, the least resources in the world are the ones that are the most impacted. And we, the most privileged people, are still generating the the worst uh, atrocities, you know, in terms of uh, the, the, the carbon crisis and so on. So we're still doing that. So unless we presence that in our discussions, that we are an elite, and what is our specific responsibility to everyone else? Maybe that's a conversation we can only have amongst ourselves. What specifically are we responsible for as we go into the future? Because we can't have everything, right? We can't have us. We can't save the world and just go on living as we used to. There has to be some discomfort in our self um, invention. We have to reinvent ourselves and value things in a new way, um, and be happy to blend this, these two challenges of the social justice with the environmental crisis. Talking about um, making the world a better place, we're coming to my last question. <laughs> It's a harvest of the day. Uh, if something easy or simple could be done and would make the, the world a better place, what would it be for you, Indra? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not actually set up to instantly answer that. But um, if we were talking in a practical way, I'm, I'm one of the people who's quite a fan of a universal basic income, not because it's a simple thing to do, but because I feel right now that people are already opting to create more space for themselves. Um, and I think that if the most important thing is that we're trying to build a new civilization based on everyone's growing and developing agency, we have to make space for people to make choices that are not going to work you know, in the old system. 
if they have a choice, I think that would make a big difference. So that's a practical one. Yeah, it, you is. Know. it works yeah. perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much, Indhan. Thank you for coming back a second time here. No. Thank you so much for having me back a second time. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Indhadnan's view on the feminine perspective and storytelling. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram Harvest Series. Next episode will be with Alexandre Tanus, a famous sound healer who organized powerful sound meditations in Kaplankaya. Until next time. <laughs>